Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Uh, may God bless you. Thank you for uh, that powerful prayer. And I want to bring greetings this morning to all of us. Praise the Lord. I want to thank God so much. This is the day, indeed, uh, the Lord has made. Uh, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Specifically for me, <clears throat> being my birthday, um, thank God that uh, this um, was chosen to share uh, this special day for me. Thank you so much. Um, uh, today, <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I bring greetings from my family. I bring greetings from the missions team. Uh, we thank God so much for uh, those who are supporting the missions team. Uh, we started uh, Border Border Church after the July mission at YWCA. And uh, we thank God very much for how he's leading us. And uh, uh, the church is shaping, taking a different shape than we had planned. Uh, reaching out to the needs of the uh, vulnerable people in the city. And so may God bless you as you think about it. And as God gives you an opportunity, you can come and see what God is doing at YWCA every Sunday. Uh, so today we are sharing understanding the glory, the Shekinah glory. And our text is Ezekiel 10, 1 to 22. Uh, Ezekiel 10, and I'll just go ahead and read. Uh, Ezekiel 10, verse 1, the topic, the heading is the Lord's glory leaves the temple. In my vision, I saw what appeared to be a throne of blue lapis lazuli uh, above the crystal surface over the heads of the cherubim. Then the Lord spoke to the man in linen clothing and said, go between the whirring wheels beneath the cherubim and take a handful of the burning coals and scatter them over the city. He did this as I watched. The cherubim were standing at the south end of the temple when the man went in and the cloud of glory filled the inner courtyard. Then the glory of the Lord rose up from above the cherubim and went over to the door of the temple. The temple was filled uh, with the cloud of glory, and the courtyard glowed brightly with the growing of the Lord. The moving wind over the cherubim sounded like the voice of the God Almighty and could be heard over in the outer court. The Lord said to the man in linen clothing, go between the cherubim and take some burning coals from between the wheels. So the man went in and stood beside one of the wheels. The, then one of the cherubim reached out his hand and took some live coals from the fire burning among them. He put the coals into the hands of the man in linen clothing, and the man took them and went out. The cherubim had what looked like a human hand under their wings. I looked, and each of the four cherubim had a wheel beside him, and the wheels sparkled like a bear. And all the four wheels looked like uh, looked alike and were made of the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The cherubim could move in any of the four directions they faced, within turning as they moved. They, they went straight in the direction they faced, never turning aside. Both the cherubim and the wheels were covered with eyes. The cherubim had eyes all over their bodies, including their hands and their backs 
and their wings. And I had someone refer to the, to the wheels as whirling wheels. Each of the four cherubim had four faces. The first was the face of an ox. The second was a human face. The third was the face of a lion. The fourth was the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose upward. Then uh, these were the same living beings I had seen besides the Keba River. When the cherubim moved, the wheel moved with them. And when they lifted their wings to fly, the wheels stayed beside them. When the cherubim stopped, the wheel stopped. When they flew upward and the wheels rose up, and the spirit of the living being uh, beings was in the wheels. Then the glory of the Lord moved out of the door of the temple and hovered all above the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of God of Israel hovered over them. And then uh, these were the same uh, living beings I had seen uh, beneath the, 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 the God of Israel when I was at the Keba River. I knew uh, they were cherubim. And for each had faces and four wings uh, 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 and what I looked like human hands under their wings. And their faces were just like the face of, of uh, the things I had seen at the Keba and had traveled straight ahead just as the others had. Yeah, thank you for uh, taking time to listen uh, to, to that. I felt it was important to just go through it. And uh, before I start, I just wanted to highlight a few, um, explain a few of those terms that we are reading uh, before I can share. Um, when I was at the medical school, we always had what we call uh, explaining the unfamiliar terms before you can delve, delve into any, any, any topic. And so some of the things that I just want to highlight uh, so that it brings more understanding, since we are understanding the glory, the Shekinah glory, um, uh, some of the words uh, that have, have come up, that it would be good to just look at them, some we know. Uh, one like the throne, of course, uh, from the Hebrew word, this is... Um, it applies to an elevated seat occupied by a person in authority. And uh, we see that even in Isaiah 6, uh, 1, when Isaiah uh, also saw the Lord, he saw him, uh, they saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. When we look at a word like lapis, lazuri, this is a precious stone, and uh, it's really always described in the scriptures uh, about God's throne. So it is one of the stone that God uses in 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 um, in heaven. The picture that most people who have gotten a vision of God's throne would see this as a stone that God uses to make His throne. And some scholars think that even the Ten Commandments were written on this particular stone. The cherubim is a celestial winged being with human animal bird-like characteristics, uh, whose function is really a throne bearer uh, of the deity. The man in linen uh, really represents the purest white and white of heaven, the light of divine truth from the Lord. The whirling wheels uh, really in this text means the spirit of God 
uh, giving direction to the wheel. So we look at a concept of mobility, which is um, a representation of the omnipresence of God. Uh, the eyes, which is the science of God, that God knows everything. And the elevated position of the whirling wheels is the omnipotence of God. That is the great power of God. The burning coals is, is, is signifying the spiritual purification. The temple, of course, this is a place of encounter with God. So a place where people would come and experience God. And we know that in the New Testament now, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. So as we bring this down, we'll be talking about how it applies to us. The cloud of glory, this is the fullness of the glory of God. Uh, evidence and manifestation of God himself. Uh, that would be when God wanted to come in a situation, you would see the cloud of glory. The inner courtyard, this is where there was uh, the place of ministry, where there was uh, offering of, of, of sins by the priest. The, the bar is a, also uh, a precious stone that is mentioned that you used to be um, put on the breastplate of the high priest. When you read um, Exodus 28, 20, you see that there were different stones that were put on the breastplate of the high priest, and each stone represented a tribe of Judah. So there were 12 stones that would be decorated on the breastplate to remind people of the 12 tribes. So this was one of the stones that uh, Elijah saw, that uh, Ezekiel saw. The Keba River, this is a, a, a river in uh, uh, Mesopotamia, that's a great river, and uh, the interesting thing is that this is a river he refers to as where he got his first vision. When you read Ezekiel 1.1, you see that that is where he got his first vision. And most of the experience he's seeing in this uh, very uh, text, he refers to them. He says he had seen them in uh, Aria on this same river. And so this is a, a river of encounter. This is a place where he's had this encounter, he's always had this encounter in that place. And that's where I want to begin from, um, uh, praise the Lord. So Lord, we thank you for this um, wonderful morning that you've given us to be able to share your word. We thank you for this is the week that you've given us, Lord. We are grateful to be alive. We are grateful to be able to hear your word. We are grateful that you always, you're always merciful to us. And so, Lord, today we thank you that we are listening to your word. I pray that you minister to each and every heart. Lord, strengthen us and lift us in the name of Jesus. Let us see your glory. Let us understand your glory. Let your glory be manifested in each and every life in the name of Jesus. Lord, be lifted up in our lives, oh God. Let our situations change. Let our circumstances change in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we thank God so much for uh, this text of understanding the glory of God. And just like I was saying, Ezekiel had this great vision many chapters after he had gotten his first vision. This was not the first vision of its kind. And I'm praying that the Lord will reveal himself to you again, even when he has revealed yourself to him. That as he comes to this very river, he comes to a place where he has 
seen God and he says, let me go back to this such a place where I can be able to see God. There's going to be a deliberate effort for you to be able, if you want to encounter the Shekinah glory, to be able to go to that place where you usually meet him. If it is a place of prayer, extended prayer, it's going to be that very moment when you go back to that kind of prayer that you may see the glory of God. And so, Ezekiel goes to the same Keba River where he had experienced God, where he had seen the things. And indeed, as the verse 10 says, and Ezekiel looked up and there above the firmament, you know, there above the ordinary, there above the things of the earth, he began to see the supernatural. That, 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 you know, this is not um, a, a just a usual prayer. This is an extended time of prayer, invested time of prayer, where he prays for the ordinary and reaches a point of now the extraordinary. And he gets into this realm, into the spirit realm, and begins to see now the things that are beyond what the human eyes can see. Praise the Lord. And so this is a place I'm calling you this morning that if we are going to see the glory of God, we may need to just be able to lift our eyes off the things that distract us, off the things that limit us. There are many things that keep us focused on the physical, focused on our flesh, focused on the on our jobs and on the things that we do on a daily basis. And sometimes we don't lift our eyes off of some of these things, we may not see the super, the, the extraordinary. We may not see the supernatural. And so Ezekiel looked up, and as he looked up above the firmament, above he began to see the celestial. He began to see the deeper things of God that God wanted to reveal to him. And that is my prayer this morning. You know, when Jesus teaches about prayer, when you read Luke eleven. Uh, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It is interesting how God begins to introduce the different levels of prayer. He begins with the Lord's prayer. He said, if you are going to pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's prayer that we know. And this Lord's prayer is really telling them it is a prayer of coming to the Father, focusing on your needs, Asking the Lord to, 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 to provide your needs, talking to your dad is, is your father, just like you go to a physical dad, come to him and be able to present how you feel and talk about your personal issues and, and so and, and things like that. But he immediately after the Lord's prayer, he gives them a parable of a man who visited the the a man who visited uh, another uh, and have food, and so he goes to the neighbor to borrow some bread. And so, as he knocks, the man had already slept. But the Bible says, because of his persistence, he opened, and so that he does not wear him out. And so, Jesus now takes them to a different um, level of prayer where you are thinking about the needs of others, the intercessory prayer, the prayer where you're praying for the needs of others. They're not focused on you. And he brings in that immediately after he has taught them the Lord's Prayer. And it is now the prayer of intercession, of thinking about others, of praying for others' needs. You, you begin to get out of yourself and your own comfort and your own needs and I, I, God, I, I, and then you go to Lord now our city, Lord now our our our, our country, Lord now our nations, the 
nations of the earth. Lord, now the people who are not reached, the enriched people groups, you begin now to talk about the others. But that's not the only the end. In Luke 18, he takes them now to another level again of prayer, where he talks and brings the situation of a judge and said there was a, a, a old widow who needed justice, and he talks about the judge who didn't fear God and says, Now this woman persistently kept on going to the judge. And even when the judge didn't have any regard for God, because he didn't want to be uh, weared out by this old woman, he just gave justice. And so he brings now another concept altogether of, of God being the judge and being on the throne and begins to bring now the, 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 the concept of, uh, uh, of, 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 of an accuser of brethren who is the enemy who brings accusations and now brings the issue of contention brings now the issue of a third level of prayer where now issues are to do with contending with spiritual things out together and so the there are always uh, uh, areas and levels of prayer that a time comes and now you begin to deal with the celestial that's where now we look at issue like of Daniel, that as Daniel sought the Lord, his answer came, but the prince of Pasha now withheld his prayer. Now it is at the contention level now. It is at the level where now you're dealing with the celestial, you're dealing with the spiritual being. And so that is the third level of, of engagement. And in that engagement, now we see the archangel coming to rescue the mirror, the, 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 come, coming to rescue the, 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 Daniel's prayer and Daniel's answer. And so Daniel was able to get the answer after 21 days because now the, the archangel, the, the, the Michael came and fought, uh, the, the prince of Pasha. And so Jesus brings that dimension and you understand it as you read the book of Daniel chapter 9 and, and 10 of how the setup of heaven and how the enemy, the devil always brings accusations against us and we know that he is the accuser of brethren and as that happens, Jesus now is able to uh, intercede on our behalf, praise the Lord and, and that is now at the level of, uh, of contention in, in the scripture and so I see that Daniel, Ezekiel comes to this level of the supernatural and begins to see some of these living uh, beings in the heavenly realms and the cherubim where the living uh, heavenly realities and most of these they had their representation in the in the temple they had sculptures that would remind people about some of these heavenly beings but now this this guy was not only looking at the temple was not only looking at the things that were the images that were that were representation of the spiritual things was now looking at the actual was in the spirit realm looking at the spiritual things and uh, the really whole point is that the, the the spiritual beings that he's seeing are bringing the presence of God the glory of God the cupboard of God they're bringing the the the, the presence down they are a representation there's something telling you that God who is in the celestial who is in the in the divine wants to interact with man he wants to come into the affairs of man and so when you look at this vision you begin to appreciate that God in his holiness he still has interest in a sinful man because we know at this time what is going on in Israel uh, at this time this is now a divided nation this is a time of 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 um, uh, people, of course, 
uh, have, have sinned and, and, and God has constantly visited them and warned them. And, and they're at a time when, because when you read the next, the next, um, the next chapter, the glory actually leaves and it leaves forever until Jesus comes back. This was like the last visitation. You know, this was the last visitation of the children of Israel, this experience. And so God was always trying to come from the divine to come to him, a human, a human nature, to come to a human being. And as he opens some of these things about the heavens, the things that we are not familiar with, the things that people do not normally see, he's trying to just show how much he is interested in the affairs of man how he would want to come from heaven, the glory of heaven, to come from up there, to be able to come to the issues of man and dwell with them. And so that's why he would come in his glory and would show most of these spiritual uh, beings. And they, 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 we see this activity. And this activity is each, each and everything that we have seen has a meaning has something that it is uh, trying to communicate to us. Things like when we talk about the, the white linen is being talked about, it is the righteousness of God. We are beginning to see that you cannot experience this glory unless there is that righteousness of God. Unless the, you know, because when God looks at us now in New Testament, he has got to see Christ because our righteousness is as filthy rags. He cannot look at us and then he spares us. And so Christ becomes that person who is an intermediate that when Jesus sees, sees us, he sees his son and he sees his righteousness. But in the Old Testament, we are seeing that there was the, the, the celestial, the holy, the white linen, which was really representing the cleanness of God, the righteousness of God. And it would really be a way of trying to show that before he shows up, something has got to be done. Because we look at him telling the man in linen and instructing him to pick the coals, the burning coals, uh, and scatter them all over the city. This was the coals that would be the atonement, that would be uh, the ones to clean up, the ones that would cleanse the one that would be for purification, that there is going to be a process of purification before God can show himself to us, before we can see his glory. He says, get the coals, get the burning coals, and be able to scatter all over the city. Of course, the burning coals have two uh, things in it. It can be the burning coals of judgment. They can also be the burning coals of purification. You know, there are many things in the scripture that one thing would actually be a representation of two things. We see the water uh, when the children of Israel are crossing the Red Sea. We see that the same water that, that redeemed the children of Israel killed the, children, the Egyptians. So the same water which saved some killed the other. And so this is a burning call, the burning calls that was supposed to purify those who would be ready, but also would bring judgment for those who would not respond. And so God, before we can experience his glory, he says, get the burning calls from uh, below the cherubim and scatter all over the city. And so that was a process of purification. And it is a process that I want us to be thinking about this morning, that if we want to experience the glory of God, you and myself, we've got to come through that process where we're saying, God, let your burning 
uh, calls burn every sin in our lives and everyone has something that you are struggling with and you want God to be able to deal with and this is the time to say God have mercy upon me have mercy upon my sin and have mercy because when we see is Isaiah having the same experience we see that the seraphim took the burning coal and touched his lips because he was a man of unclean lips. And may God touch that very path. It could be the unclean lips like Isaiah. It could be unclean mind. It could be unclean heart. It could be unclean anything that is unclean that may God use the burning coals from his altar, from his throne to be able to purify us before we can have that experience of his glory. We need to go through that experience of purification. We need to see God. When you see God, you see your sin. That is something that is so important. When you see God, you see your sin. The, the, the only way you can know that somebody has seen God, it is to know somebody who recognizes their sin. Jesus begins his teaching in Luke, um, uh, uh, Luke 6, his, his, his heart, he begins to pour out his heart through the Beatitudes. And Luke 6, 20 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and God intentionally begins with that to tell us that for the issues to do with the business of the kingdom, the humbleness in the heart, the, the, the poverty of the heart, of the spirit is so important that no one will ever enter the kingdom of God when they are not poor in the spirit. And there is no one who has ever gone there who was not poor in the spirit. And of course, this has been misrepresented sometimes to talk about the physical poverty in the world. But this is far from it. This is the spirit, the, the poverty of the spirit, that without God, there is no there is nothing that you can be able to do. You are undone, like Isaiah says uh, uh, in, in Isaiah 6, 1. In the day I saw the Lord, the high lifted up. You know, he says, oh, oh I'm undone. I am, when he, he sees his sin, when he sees God, he sees his sin. And he gives us this very uh, picture that when you come to encounter Jesus, then you see, you see, you see, you see, you see your sin. And it's it's amazing how, We've had many of the people, uh, had one prophet who said, uh, one uh, last night I, I, I saw Jesus, you know, and, and I sat with him and, and I was talking with him and, and, and I laughed. I laughed because, uh, when we look through the scripture, many of these people, every time they encountered God, oh, my friend, it's not an easy experience. It's not an exp it's not taking a cup of coffee. It's not, it's not a date with, with your, with your friend. When God shows up, many people we see they lose strength. And 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 so in my in my in my understanding, you didn't have teeth the next the next day. It can shake your body, can shake some things off. And so we see we see some of the things that when God is going to show you His glory, when God is going to manifest, there's going to be an experience of dealing with our sin, and 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 God, uh, you cannot experience Him if. You, you have not experienced the reality of your sin and how you need the Savior, how you need to be able to experience him. Praise the Lord. And so I want us to think about whatever is going on in your life. This also gives us another uh, opportunity to be able to say, Lord, touch my sin. Lord, deal with my sin. For me to be able to see your glory. 
handle each and everything that I cannot handle on my own. I bring my poverty in the spirit. That Lord, you begin with me. Because you see, in the world, we are told to be mighty. When you're going to ask for a job, you have got to show the capabilities that you have, the, the degrees that you have. You've got to show how uh, how you're capable, how you will change the, the this company when you go there. But you see, the, when you bring your CV to enter the kingdom of God, it is the opposite. It is how poor you are. It is how unable you are for you to be admitted. It is totally opposite with the experiences we go through the world. And so people have got to understand that if we are dealing with the things of heaven, then it is not your degree that is going to help. It is not your experience. It's not the things that you have gained and known. No, it is, it is, it is that brokenness. That's where you begin from. And so if we had to experience the Shekinah glory, that brokenness is essential. It is number one. Praise the Lord. And so he goes on to say that amidst the glory, we see the cherubim standing on the south side of the temple, opposite side from where the angels of judgment uh, started um, uh, their work uh, when you read Ezekiel 9. Now, it means that he was seeing the glory of God, but amidst that glory, amidst the, the, the things that he was seeing, he was also seeing God's angels of judgment would be right there. Meaning, it's like what I have said before, that the purification can either be purification to make you better, but it can also be judgment that can actually end your life. And so we've got to be careful as we're handling the glory of God that this this image that Ezekiel brings out is an image where you are seeing his glory, but amidst the glory besides you're seeing again the angels of judgment. And so you've got to be careful. But praise the Lord, the glory filled the inner court. And as this Shekinah glory filled the inner court, definitely it was radiant, was outstanding. It was something that would show the how the character of God, the presence of God, the is 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 and how it appears to us. And this is not the first time because in the scriptures, when you read Ezekiel, um, Exodus 13, 21, this is the same cloud of glory that stood before Israel in the wilderness. We see uh, in Exodus 16, this is the cloud of glory that spoke to Israel. This is where that the cloud that would appear and then the voice of God would come through and he would speak to them. In uh, still Exodus 33 verse 9, this is the same cloud of God that met with Moses. And, and, and you know, this is where uh, Moses would be covered and people maybe would see him disappear. Um, um, and this is the cloud that stood before uh, the tabernacle uh, in Exodus 33, 9. This is one of uh, the one that filled the temple when Solomon was also uh, opening the temple in 1 Kings 8. This is the same cloud of glory that overshadowed Mary. We know that as the angel appeared to him, her countenance changed in Luke 1, 35. So this is the glory of God that is present at the transfiguration, that when Peter and his friends, colleagues saw Jesus, they saw that his countenance had changed in Luke 9, 34, verse 35. This is the same cloud of glory. This is the same cloud of glory that um, uh, Jesus received as he was going back to heaven. They saw him, they saw the cloud come and 
take him. So it was a cloud of ascension in Acts 1.9. So this is, this is a cloud of glory. That's not only in, the, in that very text that we have read, but over time, God revealing himself and showing his might and showing his strength, showing his character, showing who he is and manifesting this glory. And we know in Revelations 1.7, this will be the same glory that Jesus is going to return with in triumph to earth. When he comes at the end of the age, he will come in this same glory. And, and, and the Bible says that, us also would have died, would be resurrected, and we'll take up this glorified life. The glorified body won't have the same body of weakness. We will have a glorified life. And so may the glory of God manifest in your life. This is my prayer for you this morning, that the glory of God as it manifested in different times in the scripture, it will manifest in your life. Is it a situation that needs arising? Is it a situation that needs to be changed? Is it a situation that in your life of new things that needs to be birthed? May the glory be manifested in your life. The glory of God is capable of doing several things. May it arise in your life as you experience this glory that you will see things change and things turn around. Praise the Lord. And so when we but towards the end, he begins to talk about the wheels associated with the cherubim. And he's giving us an impression that the wheel is really representing an activity and constant activity and motion, free motion, that there was these wheels moving and turning and there was no chaos. They were not colliding with each other. They were in this harmony because they were in the presence of God, there was no disorder. There was things that were constantly moving, telling us that our God is a God of all seasons. He's a God who is always at work. He's a God who is handling your situation. I want to encourage you this morning that it doesn't matter what is going on in your life. When you have and experience the glory of God, the glory of God will begin to move things in emotion, the motion that rhymes with what is happening in heaven. And that's why as Jesus teaches the children of Israel, I mean, as his disciples to pray, he says in the Lord's Prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. That as you experience this glory, it begins to align your physical things in the way they are done in heaven, the way they are experienced in heaven. And that's why in Romans 8, 26 says, we do not know how to pray, but the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he ends up by saying, and he, the, because the Spirit understands the Spirit, and he is able to turn things around in order to go into harmony with what God's will is in heaven. And so this wheel was turning means God is always at work in your situation, behind the scenes where you do not see, I want to encourage you that the Lord is working. If you're able to open your spiritual eyes like he did for Ezekiel, you would appreciate that behind the scenes where you do not see, where the physical eyes are not, God is at work. He is in a constant motion. He's in a constant business. He's constantly handling your situation, constantly manifesting. And I pray that you'll be able to know that our God never sleeps, nor slumbers, as he encourages us in Psalms. He's always at your business. 
He's not going to leave you until some things are done. He's not going to hand you over until he's done with you. And I know that that situation, maybe you've believed God for some time. You have trusted God for some time. I know that it looks like it's taken ages, but I know he's going to come. He's going to come through because he has promised us. He's going to be able to handle it because he has handled it before. When you look at, we look at, people like like Abraham, how long they waited. And sometimes they actually almost gave up, almost gave up. But God still came up. And I pray that he'll come through for you. Praise the Lord. Behind the scene, God is doing something. Do not give up, my brother. Let stretch our faith to believe and to receive the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that will change and transform our lives. Praise the Lord. And so the, the lastly, I want to Talk about the things that he saw. The cherubim had faces. And these faces had different uh, expressions. One, the expression of a man, the expression of an ox, and an eagle and a lion. And this is still consistent with what John the Revelator sees in Revelations and, and many other people. This has always been the case of how God shows himself and shows the celestial. And the, the interpretation really means the face of a lion represents the royalty of God. That God wanted to tell Ezekiel that he is royal. That even when the children of God had sinned against him, if they repented and returned, God would reverse the situation. They would experience his glory. It was the face of a lion to show God's dominion, that God, God is still in charge, God's power. He wanted them to be able to see that aspect of God, to be the one that is still in authority and the one who can change situations if people were willing to depend on him. The problem is that people always want to depend on themselves, always want to depend on their successes, always want to depend on the things they do. That when we have some things which have worked out, we think we have done it ourselves. It applies everywhere, even the doctors you may feel like ah, I, I treated that person. And so the moment we feel like we are able to do these things on our own, we lose out on the dominion, the power, the authority of God. And so God wanted to show Ezekiel his dominion, his royalty, his uh, power. And so he's, he sees that aspect of a lion. At the same time, he sees an aspect of, of an ox, which represents servanthood, the servanthood of Jesus, the humility that, like I mentioned, uh, that Jesus says, for you to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be poor in the spirit, that the, the, for you to experience the glory of God, humility is very key. For you to humble yourself, for you to know that there is nothing you can do on your own, humility, to be a servant, be willing to be a servant, is so important. He brings the aspect of man to really show him the weakness of man, the inadequacies of man, to be able to see that as human beings, we fail. That even Jesus in the human body wept. That when you have the human face, it is a presentation of weakness and inability and limitation as a human being to reach God. And therefore, you need to be able to recognize that you cannot access his glory if you do not put your faith and your trust in the face of the lion and if you, you to humble yourself so that you can be a servant. 
And lastly, the ego that represents divine ability, that it is you are carried away in the wings of an ego in that divine ability that you can experience this supernatural not on your own, but on the divine ability that he provides. And so we know that in Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. It's a very um, a powerful scripture. And it is a scripture that tells us that you've got to wait. And this is something that is so hard for very many people. For you to experience the divine, you've got to wait. That when you're going to pray, you've got to wait. When you're doing things, you've got to wait. But waiting is not an easy experience for very many people who are result-oriented, who want to see results, that when they set out to do something, they want to see results very fast. And, and, and they will quickly want to fix things on their own might. But God is saying, no, you've got to wait on my ability. You've got to wait on me to give you divine strength. You've got to wait on me for direction. You've got to wait on me. That's why it is important to know God's will. It's important to know what is God saying. That's why Ephesians 5.15, Paul begins to say, please walk as wise, not as unwise. And he continues and says, please know what God's will is. Don't be foolish. Know what God's will is. Don't just take on things. So my dear brethren, and I want to end by saying, if we are going to experience the glory of God, we've got to wait on him. You've got to wait. You cannot just pray for your personal needs and, 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 and then that's it. You cannot even just pray for others' needs and, and that's it. You've got to wait in a little longer to experience the supernatural, to experience the glory of God. You've got to depend on him. And as you depend on him, he's going to show up. May God richly bless you this week. I want to pray that you will experience God's glory in your life, in your business, in the things that you do in your family, that the things that have been a limitation, the Lord will break through for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Brian. Happy birthday once again. The birthday boy has really done us good. <laughs> Sorry to call you boy. <laughs> That's what we're used to. There is no, There was no other person or better person to do this, to put it well for us. Uh, like you have done, surely the Lord has anointed you for the season. And we are so, so grateful that you have hearkened and yielded to his spirit yeah, to share with us this morning. And I like the way you've really ended. If you, if you want to experience the glory of God, you have to wait. This generation... I don't know whether people are just uh, so much engrossed with trouble, a lot of you know busy schedules that we no longer wait on the Lord. You know, waiting on the Lord is very, very important. That as you wait on the Lord, the scriptures are very clear. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, those that wait upon the Lord will never be disappointed. It's a process that we have to cultivate as believers if we are to ever, ever see the glory of God evident in our lives. And when we wait on the Lord, the struggles that we go through, the, 
the concerns of life plus so many other things, they will be minimal in our lives if we cultivate that process of waiting upon the Lord. I really like the way you've ended waiting on the Lord. So uh, let it be our heart's cry, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that, okay, let us set ourselves on the journey of waiting on the Lord and it will yield results.